I'm Richard. And I'm Will. And together we're... The, the Irreverent, Irreverent Nerds! Nerds. Bum, bum, bum. Hey, nerds. Hey, Welcome. nerds. <laughs> Welcome back for another episode of the Irreverent Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Richard Best, here with my co-host, Will Boyer. He is back this week. Will, how you been, man? How, how's your how's your week? I'd be bog. Sorry I was absent last week. Uh spent uh Memorial Day with the family. Yeah, it's been pretty good. I mean, it's been kind of stressful and overwhelming. Uh my wife Mandy's been going through some health issues recently. But uh anyway, we uh we got out of town um for our tenth anniversary. Um, <clears throat> just the two of us, and, and that was nice for a little bit. We got to forget about things for a bit. I'm doing all right. How are y'all today? I'm good. I'm good. Um, let's see what's going on in my world. Um, yeah, just uh, working. Um, I had my my daughter's fourth birthday party uh, recently. So yeah, she's she's getting older. It's crazy. My um oldest daughter is uh on her last week of kindergarten this week. And it's just yeah, time goes too fast, it seems. It, it, with kids, like I've got four kids, Brandon. Oh, by the way, guys, you can't see us. <laughs> so uh our guest special guest Brian is already here with us. Uh Will's gonna introduce him here in a minute. But um but yeah, with my my four kids, like sometimes it feels like it's going really slow in some periods, but then you turn around and they're like already six years old, you know, it's crazy. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been a, a pretty good week. Uh, well, Will, why don't, why don't you introduce us to your friend here? To- well, uh, today we've got Brian Wingrove. I know Brian from uh, the, com- the local comic book conventions, and I really like the guy. I uh, really love his work, and uh, yeah, I consider Brian a friend. Uh, we, <clears throat> although we don't really talk or hang out outside the cons, I always enjoy seeing him uh, out and about. Yeah, we've uh, we've seen each other uh, several years over the time. I'm not even sure when the first one was, but I think it was Heroes Con. Oh, really? I think. I'm not sure. It's just one of those things. We've seen each other so often yeah. at shows that I'm, I'm not sure when that started. It's just, you know, that there's Will again, and, and we catch up from the last time we saw each other. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, I don't remember. If it was Heroes Con, I don't know if I was a customer or if I actually had a table. There were two years I had a table, but okay, <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, as Will, I was telling... Brian, earlier you and I were talking about going together to EurosCon yeah. this year. He was saying, "Oh yeah, uh, yeah." I'm saying Friday is the day to go. <laughs> well, Friday is the day. Mandy and I are going uh, this year. That's for certain. It's good to get off. there before the crowds do on Saturday. You know, a lot of people are just at their regular jobs during the week, and then. You know, they're going to go to the show, but they'll decide to do Saturday and Sunday. So Friday's a, an easy day to get to spend time with people that you're going to see. So I think it's a good 
a good day to, you know, get some good experiences there. Awesome. Awesome. By the way, for, for our listeners, uh, those of you in North Carolina who follow the comic book world probably know what Heroes Con is. Uh, but for those of you who don't, it's an annual comic book convention that takes place in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's the biggest one in this region that I know of, right? Is, is there one in Raleigh that, that happens, or is that is that the main one for this area? There are the – it's a Raleigh show and a Durham show. They, they do a couple a year. Um, they're fairly comparable in size, but the big push for Heroes Con has always been the comic book creators. Right. So if you're going for the – the comic books and the art, then then really HeroesCon has a lot more to offer in that vein uh, because that's really their focus. You don't have so many actors that that are going and you know getting autographs and pictures and that sort of thing, which you know that's fun. I've done that too, same as a lot of people. But HeroesCon it just has its own focus, and it's always been there that way. So it's if you're going for the comic books, it's definitely the bigger of the two. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, is that the one where you met uh, Stan Sakai? It is. Uh, and Sir Sergio Aragones was supposed to be there, but unfortunately he, uh, his plane got delayed or something. I didn't meet him. There's been a lot of famous people who have been to heroes con. I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with the Raleigh Durham shows, but uh, as far as I know, the Heroes Con has been the biggest, I guess I would say, professional convention in our state. Uh, like uh, like Brian said, you know, the comic book creator's coming. Uh, Stan Lee's been there. Uh, the creator of Bones been there. Uh, I think yeah. his name is Jeff Smith, but honestly, I get yeah. his name confused with the founder of Mormonism. <laughs> but... Uh, so I think it's no, Jeff Smith. <laughs> it was. Um, I kept was. hearing about him when I was at that show all weekend, and I didn't know the book. All I kept hearing were announcements. Jeff Smith is here. <laughs> oh, and I, so, I knew the book. I just didn't want to try giving you that line. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But that the ghost, was, you the know, ghost of Jefferson Smith. <laughs> yeah, they just kept talking about him for so much that on my way out of the show, I found a copy of issue number one. Cool, like a, cool. a ninth printing of it or something. I said, well, let me see what all that talk has been about. And it made me a big fan of that. So, you know, just persistence in advertising, I guess, you know. So uh, we haven't asked you, Brian, I don't think anyway, we hadn't asked you how you're doing. Uh, what's happening with you? I'm, I'm doing all right here. Um I do sort of a nine to five job to pay all the bills. And then in my spare time, I write my own comic and I, I draw particular books and um, go to conventions, promote them. I take various cartoon art that I do. Um, so it's just a lot of lighthearted fun stuff that I, that I really get to enjoy and meet people at different shows. Um, all around the southeastern area, mostly North Carolina and branching out from there. But uh, it's just always a nice creative outlet that you get after the work week is over. Absolutely. You know, <clears throat> I only recently updated my Facebook with my real job, but uh, yeah, I work, uh, I work nine to six myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm a nine to fiver as well. 
What the? Well, and even when you look at the the money and you're going, well, am I getting close enough that I might be able to to forget the job? The salary is, is <laughs> one thing that I think I, I could just about get there. It's the benefits. You, know, you, mm, you can't mm-hmm. cut the cord there. That's that's a, a hard thing. That's true. Oh man, insurance is so expensive now too. Like. It's uh, even with my company's contribution, my insurance is a lot. Um, So, you know, and as far as jobs go, I've got a pretty good one. I, I I don't have to stress about it when the day's over, I get to relax and get ready for the next convention coming up and write and draw comics. So, you know, can't argue with that. That's a, just a fun time for me. Oh, that's cool. Well, Brian, how did uh, where did your love for comics start? I'm, I'm assuming probably similar to many, it started when you were a kid, or or, or was it different for it you? Um, it was different in some ways, but um, the first exposure I had to comic books, my older brother had a collection. I couldn't read yet, so to me, it was mostly pictures. Um, and it was just something that I decided I wanted to do that when I grew up, I was gonna, um, I wanted to be the person to draw that sort of stuff. And that was going to be what I wanted to make my living at. So, um, I was drawing like a five-year-old kid drew, um, you know, so it was horrible, but I was drawing my (laughs) own comic book sort of stuff back then before I was even reading comics. And cool. so I think about nine, I actually started buying them myself and reading them and really get to understand them and the characters and the stories and everything like that. But it's just always been a part of my life. Well, I'm curious. So uh, what's your uh, favorite comic or cartoon property or what were you reading back then that you really enjoyed the most? The thing that got me the most was the Avengers. Cool. Um, that was um, when I started actually getting comics, I wasn't getting them off the newsstand because back then we had newsstands because I'm old. Missed them. Um, but my mother went to a used bookstore all the time. And, and, you know, back then I just had to go with her. So that was something. And there was a few boxes, like three boxes of comics in the corner, and they were three for a dollar. So every time she went, I got to go and pick out three comics. And the things that I started with were reprints of old Avengers comics. So they were the Avengers comics from the 60s, even though this was the early 80s when I was getting them, and they were books that were two or three years old at that point. So it was those stories and really kind of classic stories that those run adventures that I was getting is called Marvel super action was the, the reprint line that they did. And so I ended up getting a pretty good run of these. Um, Roy Thomas was the writer and and it was a a run of his adventure stories. And there was a lot of like pivotal moments there, the creation of the vision, the, um, Hank Pym becoming Yellow Jacket and having his first mental breakdown. Um, there was just um, slapping the, the wife. Yeah, there, there was a <laughs> lot of these really just gripping stories, and they really they got to me. And Avengers has always been my thing from that point. 
uh, so much that I've even completed an Avengers run of the comic. So I had the, the whole run. I still don't have all of it because they they went to where they have five or six different titles a month. And I just sort of picked at that point what I wanted to get, you know, the last 10 years or so. But that you have the whole run is amazing in itself. It, it was just something um, after I started doing conventions, it became an idea because I start, my wife is a, is a um, list sort of person. She, she wants to know, you know, everything is, is right in the world. And so we started cataloging my comic book collection and I started looking when we went through Avengers, I was saying, I really didn't miss that many from a run because I started buying around off of the newsstand. I started buying around issue 220 and so from that point on, I was only missing a small handful and, you know, there wasn't that many beforehand. So I just started, hey, while I'm at a show, let me go look around, and cool. mark another off the list. And, and it just gradually worked its way down and you know, completed it. How many uh, total issues is that? The first series was 402. Wow. Then it... Um, restarted at number one like they do so often now but um it went to it was an image reboot where they um, marvel comics loaned out certain characters to um rob liefeld and jim lee who i had no idea well, yeah they they sort of rebooted everything at that wow point. and um i was just escaped my attention <laughs> it was it was early 90s you were probably still a child yeah, yeah, yeah. I was born in 85, so... <laughs> yeah. So it was just one of those things that they did, and honestly, it, it they didn't catch me as, as well on that one. Um, I sort of trickled in and out of those reboots that they had. Um, but there were some good things, like, right after that, there was this fantastic um, Kurt Busick, George Perez run right at the end of that. That was just this phenomenal run of long storytelling that they did, but it um, still remains some of my favorite stuff when they um, brought them back into the Marvel universe because they had sort of played it off as all these characters were dead and Image sort of rebooted them so nothing was there, you know, so they got to do whatever they wanted to, to start with. And there was some interesting stuff, but not necessarily my favorite, but didn't have to. Oh, I think we may have lost Will there. Uh-oh. I guess it's just you and me for a bit, Brian. Oh, okay. Thankfully, he did send his his questions here in our chat. All right. So let's see. So you may have addressed this somewhat already, but um, what what caused you to want to start to create comics yourself? Was there a particular issue of the comics that, that just or maybe like a storyline that just really grabbed, I mean, obviously you love the Avengers. Like, was it your love for the Avengers comics that, that kind of sparked your own interest in, right. in making them yourself? Really? The, the making them part was back when I was five. So it was before I was even reading them. I was saying I wanted to make them. Nice. I was, okay. Um, I was so young at the time. I honestly did not know what printing was. So I thought every comic book was a hand-drawn comic. And so I thought I was going to be drawing over and over again, all these different comics by hand. 
And as a five-year-old, I had no idea how much that would entail. But, you know, I was thinking that was going to be it. Oh, we had him there for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He showed some video there and then he disappeared. Huh? <laughs> I, I thought he was back with a vengeance there. Yeah. <laughs> had a Hawaiian shirt and everything. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know why it was so different, but um, instead of, you know, a lot of five-year-olds were, you know, well, I want to be Spider-Man when I grow up. I want to be Batman. And, and I oh, yeah. the guy saying, I want to draw Spider-Man. You know, I want to draw this stuff and, you know, make up these stories for, for whatever reason. I, I just wasn't one of those kids who thought they were real, but I, I just knew I liked it. Yeah, I think I, I, I never was interested enough to, to want to do it for a career, but uh, I do remember probably around age nine, 10 in there. Uh, I really had a love for Garfield comics. Yeah. And um, so I remember drawing some of my own, like I, I made up my own dialogue and everything. Like you just based on situations from either the, you know, the strip or uh, from Garfield and friends TV show. That was, oh, okay. uh, yeah, both. I think both Will and I watched that growing up and uh, share a love for Garfield and friends. And, and obviously just for the, the Garfield comic strip. Right. Ah, here, Mr. Boyer is. Oh. I think he's back. Oh, here he comes. Will, are you there? Uh, I see. Uh, yeah, no, no audio there. So we'll we'll, we'll keep this going until he. Uh, <laughs> yeah, can't hear you, Will. You got to unmute yourself. Um, to to sort of go on, you had mentioned cartoons as another part of that. I had, um. Only recently, the last five years or so, did I really start drawing different cartoon characters as part of what I do at shows. So that's been a kind of a new thing that I've just started picking up. And um, it's been a, I've always had this um, sort of skill set from a different work I would do in the theater to uh, match other people's style. Um, when you're working on a, a theater set and you have the designer give something, you have to make it look like theirs. So it was that sort of gradually just fall into this idea of drawing other characters and, and these cartoon styles that are out there, but putting something different to them, something a little fun just to catch some attention and they've been doing pretty well for me. All right. Will, I think your audio is back now. Can you say something to us? Can you hear me now? There we go. Yes, we can. My, my headphones wasn't working. We're not working grammar. So Will, while you were gone, I asked him just what, what it led to him starting comics like what sparked his interest in that so we talked about that while you were gone um what question did you want to hit next with brian uh i sent a list of questions that i had to the uh the chat which i don't know how to access from my phone um but yeah i just uh 
I think we covered everything in my first block of questions. So I did want to talk with Brian about um, well, Brian. Uh, I, I just want you know to, you to share with us your your career in comics. So what things you have worked on? What's your favorite thing you worked on? Things like that. Okay, so it's a little awkward jumping back into the middle of the interview now. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Right. Um, mostly what I've done um, has been my own self-published comics. Um, so it's a lot of trying to get those issues done. Um, my wife does the editing for me, but everything oh, else cool. is mine. So it is a lot of, you know, it feels like you're working on it forever and then you finally get the next one out. But, um, and then a lot of what I've done is also just people that I've met at different shows, you know, um, like Will one time did a, a pinup for me on a comic that oh, I did. Yeah. And that was a long time ago, but I, I still remember that. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I've done things like that for people that I've met. They've said, hey, draw me a pinup. Um, there was a, a trade paperback of comics called Simon Says. I'm not even sure what the name of the company was that did it, but um, that was a point where a guy I had known for a few years just got a hold of me and said, hey, look, I've got four pages that I need to have done by Monday can you do it and it was a let's see you know and so i i um worked real hard and um not to be too much of a spoiler but i think it's been several years so i can tell you i i, I drew these funeral scenes over a weekend and you know todd all there it was and so i've done a few things like that getting you know um people that you've known for a while it's just easy because you know you've seen their work so much you go hey i bet someone's going to do this i've done projects with people that i know where i have a story with my characters and i take it to them and i i've passed it around you know this person does three pages and this person does two and we gradually piece together a comic book and for them it's nothing major you know, they only do a few pages of work, so they're not spending that much time on it, but they get a, a little bit of money and they get some comics that they've worked on and and it sort of becomes a community art project between us so that um, I've worked with up to 15 different artists that way. So when one person sells a copy of the book, everybody else gets their artwork seen and that becomes a, a neat promotional tool. I've, I've had people bring a book up and I've never met the person before, but he's got a book of mine that he's already bought and had a couple people sign it who were artists in the book and he would want me to add mine to it. And that, awesome. that's a great feeling. Yeah, I love really those cool. projects. They're a lot of fun. And what it also does is it gets stuff out of my head. Um, I'll have a story that I've you know, been running around in there, but I, I don't feel I have time for it. I'm either doing um, my superhero comedy intermezzo, which is all my original character stuff. And the one that really has been the, the obsession that got me hooked into this and, and not able to stop because I've tried, uh, but I can't do it. So I just sort of gave in. Um, but uh, I work on the intermezzo book. Uh, the last year and a half, I think, I've been working on some books called The Mighty Mighties, which is a, a very kid-friendly book. Um, what I did was I, I take 
public domain superheroes and villains, and I put them in their own Saturday morning cartoon world um, as if these characters had stuck around all these years, what would their Saturday morning cartoon have looked like? And so I've been doing different projects that way, but then having these community projects gives me something that I can hand off a story somebody else is working on. It gets in print, but I didn't have to do every page and I didn't have to put something else on hold while I worked on that. So that's always a huge thing. Anytime, you know, creative people, you know how it gets when there's an idea that won't leave you alone until you do it. Sometimes it's great just to get it out of there and free up some time. Oh, yeah. So tell us a bit more about your uh, Intermezzo mm -hmm. comic, like, uh, with it being superheroes, I'm assuming the, the ideas came from some of your loves for existing superhero comics, but um, like what was some of your process in, in getting it off the ground? Really the, the major point that I started from, I think was just looking at the comics that were there and trying to do superheroes, but in a way they hadn't been done, um, which is hard because there's been a lot of stuff out there. But looking at things, um, um, the basic premise being, oh, there's a, a big cosmic accident, and you know you get superpowers, and they just happen to be useful superpowers. And what happens if you get superpowers, but it's not such a useful thing? Um, I have a a character called the Sanitizer, who who essentially looks like the Human Torch, but if the Human Torch was making soap bubbles instead of fire. So if you're flying around shooting soap bubbles, how are you supposed to fight crime? <laughs> uh, there's a character named Cheap Shop, who, who's one of them that's been sort of in my head for the longest time. And his superpowers, he insults people and it hurts their feelings. So it's hard to fight when they're crying. So he makes people cry by calling them names. And that's just all he does and lets the other people do the punching and the kicking stuff. <laughs> so he, he's a bully to the bullies. Yeah, kinda. There you go. That That's an interesting idea. Like, cause yeah, it, it is a little, almost a little too convenient sometimes with the, the more mainstream. It's like, Oh, you just happen to get invisibility and, and you just happen to get, you know, super strength. Oh, what a oh, surprise. Yeah. Once again, <laughs> well, they always happen to be in a situation where invisibility and super strength are just what we need right now. So, um, and then the other thing that I worked with was the idea of, okay, there's this, you know, cosmic happening or, or whatever, and somebody gets superpowers. Well, what if that's not a person? I've got a character, huh? H-U-H. Uh -huh. um, but he's a polar bear who got superpowers and the power of speech and, and all this sort of stuff. So he's a bright red super powered polar bear who is fighting crime, but also kind of, you know, figuring out what the, the human world is really like. And For some so, reason, I'm picturing him with a Canadian accent. I, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I never thought of the accent. <laughs> Well, it was Alaska, so I, I don't know. Uh, 
we might have a little bit of that that twinge there, especially if he's closer to the Canadian border. You know, it's like right, right. It's like, oh, I'm here to fight villains, eh? <laughs> that and you and he's got a <clears throat> you've got a cosmic salmon or something in there too, right? That character yeah. confused. That's how the bear got his superpowers. There was a a big fight where this cosmic salmon. Um, shows up and, and he's depleted from the, the big major battle he just fought, um, lands in a stream, and then the polar bear just snatches him up and eats him. And so he absorbs his power, becomes a super-powered polar bear, but then has sort of a, a very angry Obi-Wan Kenobi ghost over his shoulder screaming at him because, you know, hey, I just saved the world and you ate me. It's like that. It, I don't know. It's weird in my head sometimes. Who knows? But you know, you work with with what pops up, and you know, when when you see something that you think you've got a a unique idea to run with, sometimes it's just running with it and see what you what you come up with. And the creative part of it is is a a, a big thing for me. You know that. that getting able to i don't know escapism or um, creating you know just taking time where you're not thinking about the nine to five job and benefits and all the stuff you have to think about and you think about a big red polar bear and a guy who insults people and makes them cry and you figure how would they actually win So that's that's where that goes. Um, Intermezzo, I've been doing that one the longest, and I've finished issue 16 on that one. So that one's been going for a while, and I am currently finishing up um, the issue four of Mighty Mighties. So there's a good amount of both just kind of building up their own worlds. Yeah, I was looking at, at that on... Uh... Indie Planet right now. Will sent me the link. Mm-hmm. Where did the uh, the name? Is it uh, is it your own name for the company, or is it in connection with anyone else? The uh, oh, Bear Butt Comics. <laughs> Bear Butt Comics. Um, it came about because of huh, the Cosmic Polar Bear. Um, <laughs> I was drawing the story because I knew what I was wanting to do with the stories. And as people would flip through, there was one particular page where the bear is eating the salmon and it's a shot from behind. And so it's a bear's butt. And (laughs) every single person, as they got to that page, they went, oh, look, a bear butt. And it just seemed like, okay, if it's going to resonate that well with people, why not just, you know, let's get that and run with it. And it makes a, a funny thing that, People remember, kids giggle at, you know, so when you're in a big room at a convention and they see something that says bare butt comics, they'll get a laugh. They might walk over, they might pick something up and look at it. And that's, that's your first step is getting it in front of somebody, seeing if they like it and if they like it enough to put down some money on it and follow it. And you know, that's the most rewarding part of what I do is when you're at a show and somebody picks up your comic, that's fantastic. I mean, that's 
that's better than than picking up a print of a character or a, a drawing of something else. I mean, those characters are the things that really, I mean, they sort they live in my head, and I'm putting them out there, and I'm doing it because I I want to get those stories out there, and when people are willing to give that a try, that's huge for me. I think Will Will mentioned. Um, I think have you done some some writing of books as well? Like, or is that was that someone else you were talking about? Well, they... uh, I think I was talking earlier. I was talking earlier to you about Brock Heasley and the ah uh, okay okay sometime. Um, but I don't know, Brian. Have you written any uh, short? Yeah, have you, have you written any short stories books? <laughs> um, the only thing that I, I've done, I've I, I'm very visual, and so for me, it's it's telling it in pictures comes naturally. Telling it in words takes a lot more effort. Um, mm. There is one short story I did it and printed it Ooh. as a comic book um, called um, "The Journey of Brave Ulysses," mm. which is essentially a it's a kids' book telling the story of the Odyssey. If Ulysses was a wiener dog. <laughs> oh, why is it so familiar? I think I, I think I knew about this. So that's hilarious. It's very possible, but it's just a, and that story literally would not leave me alone until I wrote it. And and so eventually, you know, just to get it to be quiet, I, I stopped on what I was working on and I wrote out this story and and it has, you know, a panel of, or a column of dialogue and the written narration and then on the other side of the page is a picture from the story and it's you know this wiener dog trapped outside in a storm trying to work his way back home to his little girl and it mirrors the odyssey you know the the giant cyclops is really this um rottweiler who's chained up in the yard who's missing an eye and things like that so it becomes dog-centered mythic tales kind of thing like that. Me. That's a cool idea. It 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 amazes me how often we as humans, um particularly it seems like since the advent of the other visual mediums, you know, like television or like, you know, or even even comic books, which are more recent, but like how often we anthropomorphize animals. It's in a sense, it's like we're empathizing with animals to the to the point that we're imagining what it would be like to be one of them. Mm-hmm. At the same time, that we're also imagining what they would be like if they were one of us. So it's, it's like this weird right. crossover, if you if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think it also some stories become easier to tell because there is sort of that uniform feeling you know everybody you know everybody's fallen in love with a dog at some point in their life whether oh, yeah. it's their dog or their cousin's dog who they get to visit on Sundays or whatever everybody has had that animal that you know whenever you see it you're just smiling and you're happy mm-hmm. and so for that feeling to then tie into some other sort of story it becomes a universal dropping off point that somebody can 
instantly get it. You know, when it's okay, here's a story. It's a kid and a dog. Bam. You go, okay, mm-hmm. got it. Mm-hmm. And, and then it can go anywhere. Shadow. <laughs> it just makes me think of it was one of my favorite movies growing up. Uh, Is that Homeward Bound? Homeward, ba- Homeward Bound, yes. The one with Michael J. Fox. Yeah. and uh, Well, Brian, we are coming up on the end of this segment. So we're going to pause and uh, we'll have some messages in between and then we'll come back. Okay. Smithers, who are these irreverent nerds? Well, sir, they're the hosts of this podcast. What's a podcast? Well, sir, it's kind of like a radio show. Ah, I see. Like The Shadow or CBS News. Yes, sir. Hmm. I think we should buy it. Uh, I don't think it's for sale, sir. Poppycock, I just bought Twitter. I can buy this podcast. Alright, sir. I'll talk to them and see what they say. Excellent. And we are back with Brian. So, Will, I think you had a a question that you mentioned over break that you'd like to ask Brian, so why don't you go ahead? Yeah, um... I really love your Mighty Mighties, and I just wanted to ask you, uh, why did you choose these specific characters uh, that you did for the Heroes and Villains of that book, and uh, how do you feel about public domain characters and using them? Um, Going with the ones that I picked, I was trying for something that would fit sort of a a classic, almost Super Friends kind of vibe. Um, the, The ones that I went with a green turtle. Who, I love the green turtle. Um, he's just fun to me. I love the costume more than anything. The history of the character is fascinating. Um, moon girl, who I've named Moon Woman because Marvel has a moon girl. So um, I've just rebranded her a little. Um, this fantastic um, costume and look and appearance. Uh, very similar to, to Wonder Woman. She was very much a Wonder Woman sort of knockoff, but I think cool. Wonder Woman has evolved so much that there's a lot of difference in those characters that uh, I, I like exploring. There's um, Black Cat um, was one of the first um, masked uh, superheroes out there. Um, I've renamed her as well. I call her Mystery, which connects oh, right. with- um, connects to a little bit of her actual history of, of the character. Um, but I, I, and then there's some fun ones to it. Um, Rainbow Boy, who I just find fun. And Fat Man, the human flying saucer, who was absolutely my favorite. I couldn't do anything and not include Fat Man, the human. I know. Flying. We um, talked about this. He's hilarious. I love him. It's just, um, I went and sort of looked and I found, okay, I want some powerhouse characters and okay, I want at least two that are, I call them skill and will characters. They're the characters, they don't have powers, just their skill and will is all they, they work with. And I want to have a couple of those. And then the weird powers, you know, Rainbow Boy shooting bright 
colorful lasers and Batman turning into a flying saucer. So those were the ones I, I really gravitated toward wanting to put those out there. Um, Green Llama was, was one I didn't mention. Um, was very much the, the flying, super-powered, strong dude. I, I, I wanted a, you know, somebody to fill that role in there. I think that's important. So it was picking them. Um, the villains, I think, were just as fun. Uh, public domain characters, because there are so many out there and so many wild, fantastic things that were out there, it's a rabbit hole. You, you start down it and there's thousands of these characters out there. And I spent days just going through, there's a Wikipedia page all about public domain characters. And I was just going through making a list, which heroes did I want and kind of narrowing it down? Which villains did I want and kind of narrowing it down? And there were some that were instantly on there. Um, there is a, a magic using character that was called Merciless the Sorceress. And I think that is the absolute best villain name ever created. And I knew right away she had to be on there. Um, you know, how much more do you need? Just by hearing the name, you know, she uses magic and she's not nice about it. And ta-da, everything else is gravy. Um, so yeah, there, there's some fun. Uh, Brick Bat was a character. Uh, a I man wearing a brick bat. A man wearing a suit who keeps bricks in his pockets that he will hit you in the face with. And, yes. and that's <laughs> a great going for me. Uh, um, so yeah, it was finding and narrowing down. And there were some characters in there that it's, well, I want to use this character, but I won't use it as one of the originals. I'll get around to them later where they don't fit in right now into this group. I can use them for something else. Um, so yeah, there, it's it's almost an endless well. At least it feels like it. That you can pull all sorts of just fantastic, weird things out there, and I have so much fun with it. It's definitely fun to read and look at. Ah, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's. I, I very much tried to keep it to that Saturday morning cartoon look. Um, so it's it's very animated. The characters are very much not your standard heroic looking figures. You know, it was very much, um, I think, heavily influenced the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons, the, the old filmation stuff. There, there's uh, all these characters and, and things that I grew up watching. I tried to really fill it in for those and, and just to kind of bring that back. Because, you know, sometimes it feels like there's not a lot of just pure fun stuff out there. That's Everything true. has to be edgy and, and gritty or whatever. And I just wasn't about that. You know, there's a place for it, but I thought, you know, there's really a, there's a niche that's missing in comics and it's just some fun, happy, hand it to your kid who can read it and, you know, just enjoy it, follow it along pick his favorite characters and, you know, start drawing them and decide he's going to do it when he grows up. Awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah, I, I think the, the industry kind of forgot that. You know, they 
they dabble here and there that you'll see a, a kid's book, a pure kid's book show up here and there, but they don't, they don't make it a priority. And I, I think it's, it's something that's, that's, that was just always there that I think is kind of missing. Now, is there anything else you wanted to talk about, uh, about your, your art career or things you've done? Um, let's see. A lot of times it feels like you're doing a lot of the same thing over and over again. You know, you're, you're finishing up this comic to work on the next comic. You're, you're going to this show and then you have to, you know, make stuff to, to fill the boxes for the next show. So um, there are times when you can actually feel like, oh, it's, it's getting repetitive. Oh, I, I don't feel like yeah. I'm, you know, getting anything out of, but usually what happens in that sort of situation is you go to the next convention, you, you're sitting next to another artist or other artists are coming by your tables and, you know, you walk around and, and just talk to people and it, it recharges you, you know, it, I feel it, the same way. You know, I'll, I'll go to a show and I'll um, I'll see your stuff and we'll sit there and we'll talk about the comic you're working on. It has nothing to do with mine, but just hearing you talk about yours and being excited about it. When I go home, I'm excited about mine. Again. You know, so it's it's just a, a, a good feeling, you know, and I think we we sort of keep each other going a lot that way. And we've got social media certainly does that a great deal more these days as well. It doesn't feel so much like you're trapped in a dark room trying to draw pictures and wondering if anybody's ever gonna see. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I suffer from burnout sometimes. I'll be on the roll and then mm -hmm. I'll just get tired. And yeah, I know how that, what that's like you know, wondering if you, why am I doing this? Who's going to read this? Yeah. Uh, I always enjoy encouraging each other at the conventions and whatnot. I think that's a very good thing to have. And a while back when I think I was really starting to feel burned out by it, I really just started making a point. And instead of just going to a convention, setting up my table, showing my stuff and then at the end packing up and going home it was i need to walk around i need to talk to the people who are doing the same thing that i am yeah. and let's just you know catch up with each other and while i might still have you know a few hours on the road some people will get together we'll go out to dinner and we'll just talk and we might not even be talking about comic books but you know everybody laughs everybody has a good time then you get Absolutely. Do you ever go to those drinking draws? I don't have time for it. You know, I've got to get home to the missus. You're probably the same way, though. It's usually when they do those, it, it's it's been like the night before I come into town. They'll say, oh, we'll do this on Friday, and then the convention's on Saturday. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not there yet. I can't I can't do that. Sometimes they've, they've done some things that were after the show. You know, if it's a Saturday, Sunday show and they do something Saturday night, I'll, I'll try to make sure to to involve myself and just get out there and, you know, um, 
the the social life for an artist is an odd thing because you're in this room creating it all on your own it's very solitary but then suddenly you're out in a room full of people you know trying to show this stuff and, and hopefully conveying your enthusiasm you know you're willing to commit all your time to it and you want to let people know and hopefully hopefully get somebody to to give it a try and that's always the 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 best feeling you know it's, you know i can sell i can sell um drawings my cartoon cosplays that i do i have a lot of fun with them you know i, oh, yeah. I have jessica rabbit dressed up like black widow or huckleberry hound uh, dressed up like captain america um just any sort of goofy little fun thing I happen to put together and people, you know, get a kick at it. They laugh at it, you know, and they sell well and they pay for a lot of my expenses and printing costs and all that sort of thing. Um, but in the end, at the end of the day, it's always that comic book story that's in my head that I want to yeah. put out there again. I know how you feel. Uh, I forgot to talk about your cartoon cosplays. Those are really awesome. And I know, you know, like you said, the story is where your heart mm -hmm. is, but uh, I'm really glad that you got, uh, the, they are selling well. I mean, they're, they're amazing. I love them. Like the, the Porky Pig and Daffy Duck uh, crossed with uh, um, Honey Python uh, and the Holy Graham. Yeah, I love that. Did I buy that? I don't remember. <laughs> I think May, you got one that was the two of them as Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. I'm yeah, that's sure. awesome too. Oh, okay. But so yeah, yeah there's you know, it's this endless sort of possibilities there and just doing something, you know, and whenever you're doing something like that, that's taking one thing and combining it with another. Um from a salesman point of view, it's really not the brightest idea because you have to get somebody who likes both of those things. They might go, oh, I love Bugs Bunny, but I, I, I don't like Superman, who you've got to dress up as, so I don't want to get it. You know, you have to get somebody that is like, oh, I like both of those things. I've got to have this. So sales-wise, it may not be the brightest thing, but if you do it in a funny way and you have a, a good variety of things, you know, very often, you know, um, I've done hundreds of these and, you know, there's probably about a hundred in the boxes that I have now. So as they're flipping through, they're going to find something from their childhood of this was my favorite. I, I love the Smurfs or I, I love Blue Falcon and Dino Mud. I'm kind of aging myself on that one. Have, have uh, you done the Smurfs mixed with Avatar? Because you should. <laughs> I haven't done Avatar. That's tricky. Because they're tall and lanky and Smurfs aren't. It would almost end up looking like naked Smurfs, which would be weird. Well, I always thought the idea a winner. It, it would be both weird and amazing. <laughs> oh, yes. Sometimes weird is good. You know, some of the most weird things that I do, you know, my wife will look at me and just go, What? What is, what is that? What are you doing? And typically, those are the things that'll sell the fastest. You know, it, it's just something that somebody will go, 
I had a guy pick one up and he looks at it and goes, this is twisted and you are an evil, evil man for drawing. (laughs) And I have to buy this right now. (laughs) Oh man. I'll go with that. It was like, um, like we connected on Facebook earlier today, Brian, and I was looking at uh, just a few of your posts and, uh, I saw the the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse series you were working on, and like the first yeah. one I saw, obviously was the I don't know, was that supposed to be the death I guess with the cra- oh, crane dang. crane in the in the middle of the yeah. giant uh, giant Grim death Reaper death Bob. robot I guess yeah. Grim Reaper bot, and then uh, of course Mister Burns with the the skull That's of him. Smithers riding <laughs> on a horse. I thought yeah. that was great. Yeah, you know, that was one before I started working on, I, I sort of confer with my wife over so often. It's like, okay, am I going too far? <laughs> <laughs> and that was a, well, you're going to have to, we'll, we'll keep an eye out. We'll see how that works. And, and so I was, I was going through each one individually, just as a, a sort of proof of concept. I'm actually debating sort of a, a painting of, of, of the big, you know, sort of oh, yeah. all four pieces, you know, in place in, in the one thing. And so it's like, well, before I get really started on that, let me see if I can do these four things without being horribly offensive. And <laughs> maybe just slightly offensive, you know, if I can balance there, then, then that'll be all right. So uh, we've got about eight minutes left in our... Okay interview uh, i did have one somewhat obscure um avengers reference and uh for you since you love the avengers and i wanted to tie it in to the uh the more recent uh disney plus series wandavision as well as the uh a particular mcu movie so i ran across um i go to mckay's quite often and they have a as you probably know, they have a large comic book section. So I was just looking through their new arrivals. And, um, Are you with McKay's, uh, Brian, since you're not in Winston? I am. My, my oh, mom okay. lives in that area. So I've, I've taken her uh, several times. She's a, she's a voracious reader. So oh my goodness. It, after a while, you get her out the door. You know? And it, it is, it is like nerd heaven in there. Yeah. So there's so, so many cool things. Um, uh, but um, I was just taking through the new arrivals and I saw an Avengers comic. Um, so I, I picked it up. It was uh, from the eighties. I believe it was, I want to say 86 or 87 kind of in that range. And in reading through it, the, so it was a, it was a council of the Avengers. They were meeting, they were trying to decide who is going to lead the Avengers next. And at the time, the the wasp had just been the leader and she had like resigned for some reason <clears throat> and they were voting on on who and then captain america um nominated captain marvel right who was at the time um monica rambo was the captain marvel in, in that run right they had, so they had introduced her as captain marvel for for several years and ended up changing her to several different names now they call her spectrum yeah yeah so i was curious uh what you thought of well 
first off, I guess the the Captain Marvel movie in the MCU, like what you thought of the decisions they made with that, you know, with how they how they cast the Captain Marvel character and then the role that Monica Rambeau's mother played right. in that. And then obviously I'm assuming you've probably seen WandaVision. Um right. and then also what they're doing with the Rambo character there. So I was, I was just curious what you and thought white of vision. those things. And white vision. <laughs> yeah. White vision. Yeah. The um the Monica Rambo character has always been a, a pretty near and dear one to me, actually. Oh, cool. When I started getting the comics new off the newsstand every month was early um it was around two hundred twenty um was the numbering of the issue. And and Monica Rambeau, um, they brought her in as an Avenger in training in um, 227. So I was right there when they were just bringing her in, training her how to use her powers, training her how to fight hand to hand. So you would see them in the gym, her and Captain America, and he would be giving her pointers and stuff like that. So I've always really liked that character. And in the run where you were talking about where she becomes the, the leader of the Avengers, it was really a high point of the series, really. They had, um, um, Roger Stern did a long arc writing the book and John Buscema, who was um, a longtime favorite of mine who had done some of those early Avenger comics that I read in the 60s, was back in the 80s doing some of the most beautiful stuff he's ever done. Um, Tom Palmer was the inker on that. And it was stuff to this day that I'll still go back and reread and restudy the art and everything to it. Um, So I was thrilled when they were doing the Captain Marvel movie. I knew it was going to be Carol Danvers, and I was like, that character fine. I like Monica better, but I'm fine with Carol. Um, But the movie, when I saw there was a a, a trailer where I think you saw the word Rambo was written on the side of the plane that you know, that was the pilot of the plane and obviously that meant ha 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 they're going to tie her in somehow I liked how it was a child so that they can grow with the character I liked how she then later came back in WandaVision the powers don't seem to really be there yet it seems like they got a lot of way to grow with it um but, you know, those things, I just enjoy, you know, I, I go, I'm not a, a nitpicky person who has to go, oh, well, why didn't they do this? And they didn't. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I grew up in the 70s where Captain America had a motorcycle helmet yes. and a plastic shield. So <laughs> I'm pretty easy to please, you know. Oh, man, that makes me think of the... Uh... Was it from the seventies or the eighties? The old Captain America movie. I think there that's was, what he's talking about. Yeah, there is were it, two in that, the seventies that it was the plastic shield. Red mm-hmm. Brown was the actor who was actually this big beefy guy who looked the part. You know, nothing against him at all. But just odd choices here and there. Seventies, you know, special effects for a, a TV show certainly weren't big budget things. Um, and then there was another movie after the Batman craze. So early 90s there was one that mm. um, was absolutely horrible. Oh my God. <laughs> and I, can, I can enjoy a lot of things, but I finished that yeah. and I just went, I, yeah, I got nothing. 
it was a, a straight to video classic and and um there it's date. Um it just the there seem to be many things that you'll see that they can actually enjoy and there seems to be things where it feels like they're trying to fix something. And you go, well, if I love the original, why does it need fixing? But no, oh, that I hear happens you. with a lot of them. Yeah. What one see how it goes. One final quick question. Do you think She Hulk is going to become an Avenger? She Hulk? Yeah, within within the MCU. She Hulk, yeah. Oh, She Hulk. No, if they will. It, it's a good character. Um, they seem to be going to the more humor run of her 80s, 90s stuff. So I don't know if they would series to start with. So she might fit in fine. And it's certainly one that, you know, the tech is there for it already. They've got that well established. So it'd be easy enough just to put it right in. Yeah, I like the, the scene in the trailer where she's training with uh, the Hulk. Like Mark Ruffalo's teaching, his character is teaching her. And, uh, but yeah, after reading the comic I, I referenced earlier, she was in it as well and was an Avenger during that run. Like, so I thought that was interesting. Um, well, we got less than a minute here, Brian. So I just want to say thank you for for coming on, and and Will, thank you for in, inviting Brian to come and join us. Uh, you got any any final things you'd like to say to to the folks, to the nerds? <laughs> um. Well, I would say that um, if you're reading comics, that there there is something for everyone. Montgomery Burns here, the owner of Twitter and this podcast. Coming up next, in Japan, Jaunt, Will Boyer talks about the Bakineko. And in Sci-Fi Focus, Richard Best reads a classic H.G. Wells story. H.G. was a friend of mine. He'd better do a good job. This is Cartoonist Will, and welcome to another segment of Japan Jaunt. Today, we are focusing on three yokai, the Bakineko, the Nekomata, and the Manekineko. The the Bake Neko is a cat that has grown so old and wise that it can now have a few supernatural powers. It is generally said that this transformation happens when the cat turns 13 human years old. Also, being killed and becoming a vengeful ghost can also turn a cat into a Bake Neko, a yokai. The Bake Neko are shapeshifters Sometimes they need to consume blood of, of the one it is transforming into in order to transform. Sometimes it replaces humans it killed or it replaces humans that were killed or died at, by the hands of others. The Baki Neko can be a good or evil yokai. It can avenge itself in an evil way if it had 
evil owners that molested it, that abused it, or as a good Bakaneko, it can avenge its family, its pet owners who loved it and took care of it, but were shamefully treated or murdered at the hands of others. A Bakaneko's tail increases in length as it ages or gains wisdom. It can speak human language. It is hyper-intelligent as in, in that it is as intelligent as a human being. It is said to drink oil from lanterns. This is most likely because fish oil was used in some lanterns during that period in Japan. If a Nekomata continues, excuse me, if a <laughs> Bakineko continues aging or growing in power or wisdom or magic ability, it will turn into a Nekomata. Its tail will split and it will become a Nekomata, which is a necromancing cat yokai. The Nekomata can puppet control the deceased to its own ends, usually to terrify human owners that were cruel to it in life. Some Bakeneko or Nekomata have a hunger for human flesh, but this is not universal. As the Nekomata becomes more powerful in magic, older or wiser, its tail will continue splitting. It can have up to seven tails, something I didn't know but knew while I was doing a little bit of re refreshing research today. Unlike the Kitsune Yokai, by the way, who can have up to nine tails. The Bakaneko and Nekomata can summon or control will-o'-wisps, which are little balls of fire. A Bakaneko or Nekomata can ride the Kasha's flaming chariot wheel and act as an emissary of the god's judgment, transporting the deceased bodies of sinners down to Buddhist hell. These emissaries or grim reapers are called Kasha, generally. Kasha can be different yokai as well, such as Oni. Cats in Japan are killed before aging to 13 or have their tails cut off to prevent this transformation into these cat demons. Cats in Japan have, have actually evolved to be tailless at birth due to this. Uh, I'm hoping that people in Japan are less superstitious, of course, today. Uh, anyway, the Bonakineko may be a type of Bakineko as well. It is a benevolent type. Its name means lucky or blessed cat. Statues depicting it are beckoning with a paw while holding a gold coin. You'll often see these in Chinese restaurants some and Japanese restaurants. Examples in pop culture of these three types of yokai, uh, especially in Japanese pop culture, are too numerous to list. Pop culture more recognizable to American audiences may be Dragon Ball, in which Yamcha's cat psychic Puar is a transforming cat, maybe a Bakineko. Possibly Master Korin at the top of Korin's tower may be a Bakineko. Uh, and within Naruto, there is a uh, Nekomata known as Matabi. In Luigi's Mansion 3, there is a Nekomata known as Polter Kitty. In the game series Pokemon, something, you know, I'm a big fan of Pokemon, so I've noticed this through the years. Mew, Meowstic, are both Bakineko. Uh, the legendary mystical Pokemon Mew has the ability transform, for example. Uh, all of these characters, uh, these two are psychic types. Espeon, from Gold and Silver onward, is a Nekomata. It has a split tail. It's also a psychic type. 
Now, Meowth is not a psychic type, but he is a Manekineko, or it, I should say, is Manekineko, uh, as well as Persian. Does Persian have, no, Persian doesn't have the gold coin, that's a jewel now. Okay, so just Meowth. Anyway, other examples in pop culture include uh, possibly Kiki's Delivery Service, her black cat Gigi. Then again, he may not be a Bakineko. Um, my Neighbor Totoro, definitely, most likely the cat bus and the cat bus kittens. Uh, but possibly Totoro himself might be a Bakineko. Um, Yokai watches Jabanyan and other. Uh, cat yokai within the series. Uh, there are several different Power Rangers TV series that have uh, villains of the week, which are based on Baki Neko or Nekomata, inspired by them. And Yuwasha has these yokai. Uh, I've heard that Mononoke. I don't know if the information I was reading was talking about Princess Mononoke from Ghibli Studios or a different Mononoke but apparently there's some Bakuneko in it. Shaman King, I used to read that, it's got definitely has that yokai in it. Digimon's Persimon and Gatomon X uh, with possible other Digimon are based on these yokai. Uh, Bleach, Ranma and a Half and many other series more recognizable to American audiences have these yokai. I would like to sort my citations for today. Uh, Wikipedia, TV Tropes, Maneki Neko's Yokai Stories on YouTube, and liquidsearch.com for some pop, pop culture references I may not have known of. Uh, but anyway, this is definitely my favorite yokai among one of my favorite yokai. Uh, a couple of decades ago, I was trying to do a American manga series uh, based around, taking place in feudal Japan, based around Bakuneko and other yokai. My main character actually was a Bakuneko. Anyway, so this is something I definitely love, and I needed to refresh myself on it. Anyway, I hope you guys continue to enjoy yokai and other Japanese folklore, and we'll see you next time on Japan Jaunt. Y'all take care. Sayonara. For today's sci-fi focus, I read a classic science fiction story by H.G. Wells, The Sleeper Awakes. Chapter 1. Insomnia One afternoon at low water, Mr. Isbister, a young artist lodging at Boscastle, walked from that place to the picturesque cove of Pentargon, desiring to examine the caves there. Halfway down to the precipitous path to the Pentargon beach, he came suddenly upon a man sitting in an attitude of profound distress beneath a projecting mass of rock. The hands of this man hung limply over his knees, his eyes were red and staring before him, and his face was wet with tears. He glanced round at Isbister's footfall. Both men were disconcerted, Isbister the more so, and to override the awkwardness of his involuntary pause, he remarked with an air of mature conviction that the weather was hot for the time of year. Very, answered the stranger shortly, hesitated a second, and added in a colorless tone, I can't sleep. Isbister stopped abruptly. 
No, was all he said, but his bearing conveyed his helpful impulse. It may sound incredible, said the stranger, turning weary eyes to Ispister's face and emphasizing his words with a languid hand. But I have had no sleep, no sleep at all, for six nights. Had advice? Yes, bad advice for the most part. Drugs, my nervous system, they are all very well for the run of people. It's hard to explain. I I dare not take sufficiently powerful drugs. That makes it difficult, said his bister. He stood helplessly in the narrow path, perplexed what to do. Clearly the man wanted to talk. An idea natural enough under the circumstances prompted him to keep the conversation going. I've never suffered from sleeplessness myself, he said in a tone of commonplace gossip. But in those cases I have known, people have usually found something. I dare make no experiments. He spoke wearily. He gave a gesture of rejection, and for a space both men were silent. Exercise, suggested Isbister diffidently, with a glance from his interlocutor's face of wretchedness to the touring costume he wore. That is what I have tried, unwisely, perhaps. I have followed the coast day after day from New Quay. It has only added muscular fatigue to the mental. The cause of this unrest was overwork. Trouble. There was something... He stopped as if from sheer fatigue. He rubbed his forehead with a lean hand. He resumed speech like one who talks to himself. I am a lone wolf, solitary man, wandering through a world in which I have no part. I am wifeless, childless. Who is it that speaks of the childless as the dead twigs on the tree of life? I am wifeless, childless. I could find no duty to do, no desire even in my heart. One thing at last I set myself to do. I said, I will do this, and to do it, to overcome the inertia of this dull body, I resorted to drugs. Great God, I've had enough of drugs. I don't know if you feel the heavy inconvenience of the body, its exasperating demand of time from the mind. Time! Life! Live! We only live in patches. We have to eat, and then comes the dull digestive complacencies or irritations. We have to take to the air, or else our thoughts grow sluggish, stupid, run into gulfs and blind alleys. A thousand distractions arise from within and without, and then comes drowsiness and sleep. Men seem to live for sleep. How little of man's day is his own, even at the best. And then come those false friends, those thug helpers, the alkaloids that stifle natural fatigue and kill rest, black coffee, cocaine. I see, said his bister. I did my work, said the sleepless man with a querulous intonation. And this is the price? Yes. For a little while, the two remained without speaking. 
You cannot imagine the craving for rest that I feel. A hunger and thirst. For six long days since my work was done, my mind has been a whirlpool, swift, unprogressive and incessant, a torrent of thoughts leading nowhere, spinning round swift and steady. He paused. Towards the gulf. You must sleep, said his sister decisively, with an air of a remedy discovered. Certainly, you must sleep. My mind is perfectly lucid. It was never clearer. But I know I am drawing towards the vortex. Presently, yes. You have seen things go down an eddy? Out of the light of the day, out of this sweet world of sanity, down. But, expostulated Ispister, the man threw out a hand towards him, and his eyes were wild, and his voice suddenly high. I shall kill myself, if in no other way, at the foot of yonder dark precipice there, where the waves are green and the white surge lifts and falls, and that little thread of water trembles down. There, at any rate, is sleep. That's unreasonable, said his bister, startled at the man's hysterical gust of emotion. Drugs are better than that. There, at any rate, is sleep, repeated the stranger, not heeding them. His bister looked at him. It's not a search, you know, he remarked. There's a cliff like that at Lowworth Cove. As high, anyhow, and a little girl fell from top to bottom and lives today, sound and well. But those rocks there. One might lie on them rather than dismally through a cold night, broken bones grating as one shivered, chill water splashing over you, eh? Their eyes met. Sorry to upset your ideals, said Ispister with a sense of devil-may-carish brilliance. But a suicide over that cliff, or any cliff for the matter of that, really, as an artist, he laughed, is <laughs> so damned amateurish. But the other thing, said the sleepless man irritably, the other thing, no man can keep sane if night after night... Have you been walking along this coast alone? Yes. Silly sort of thing to do, if you'll excuse my saying so... Alone? As you say, body fag is no cure for brain fag. Who told you to? No wonder. Walking. And the sun on your head. Heat. Fag. Solitude. All the day long. And then I suppose you go to bed and try very hard, eh? Ispister stopped short and looked at the sufferer doubtfully. Look at these rocks! cried the seated man with a sudden force of gesture. Look at the sea that has shone and quivered there forever. See the white spume rush into darkness under that great cliff, and this blue vault with the blinding sun pouring from the dome of it. It is your world. You accept it. You rejoice in it. It warms and supports and delights you. And for me... He turned his head and showed a ghastly face, bloodshot pallid eyes and bloodless lips. He spoke almost in a whisper. It is the garment of my misery. The whole world is the garment of my misery.
Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of Sci-Fi Focus. If you'd like to hear the rest of the story, as they say, check out H.G. Wells' books on Amazon or at your local library. My nerds! Thank you so much for joining Will and I for this week's episode of the Irreverent Nerds Podcast. Our Instagram handle has changed just a tad. We are at irreverent underscore nerds, plural. That's at irreverent underscore nerds. Facebook fan page is the same. It's called The Irreverent Nerds. So check us out on either of those platforms. We're also on YouTube, just simply called Irreverent Nerd. And if you'd like to leave us a voice message to be included in a future episode, go to anchor.fm forward slash irreverent nerd, and there'll be a a button there you can press and record a message for us. And uh, as I said, we'll include it in a future episode. Also, on that same page, you can choose to sponsor us if you'd like. Either $0.99 a month, $4.99 a month, or even $9.99 a month. If you do that, you'll be a saint. Anyway, check us out. And as always, I hope you have a wonderful week and you'll be hearing from us next time.